Good morning. Monday on the Montrose Mothership and Oliver's first proper day in the new job. Good morning all, it's Oliver Callan here until 10 o'clock this morning and I suppose I'm not standing in for someone for once uh, although, although that feeling will probably never go away, let's face it especially not after that news bulletin Thank you management for that impeccable timing Beautiful Horty's anyway, list of its top 10 earners for 2022 was published Ryan Tuberty topped it at over half a million and then your message to 80889 and the email is new that's oliver at rte.ie so we'll accept all your nice messages your cranky ones even maybe the snippy ones I'll find a place for those yet we'll figure it out sure uh, because the paint it is still wet on the shop front uh, it's kind of still bring your spare underpants to work time for a fair while yet but look it's lovely to be here and not partially here like I have been for um, a bit of a, a while and I've got lots of well wishes and good looks from about the place. Some lovely handwritten cards, hand-painted cards and messages indeed from uh, the Presenters Illuminati group in here. Welcoming and or commiserating. You know yourself. And sure, why wouldn't I join RT? Uh, we seem to be going through something of a golden age right now, aren't we? Who wouldn't want to be part of this soaring rocket replete with optimism and high in public favour with bits of the ceiling falling in here and there and more internal investigations and a crypto startup. By the way, before you text in, no, I haven't seen a single rat yet. So I don't think I'm actually a fully fledged proper inmate until I see the first rodent. I'm looking forward to that day. They're all in the newsroom, I gather. Why would they prefer the newsroom over uh, something with more a sense of decay? Uh, for some reason, Orty Gold comes to mind. Am I allowed to make comments like that anymore? Do we know? Sure. We'll find out as we go. Oh, Oliver rattling all of the family skeletons there. But he was keeping the Monaghan accent on the airwaves. More on that later. But if that was the big reveal in Radioland politically, it was the restoration of power sharing in Northern Ireland, with the Assembly sitting at Stormont later today, two years exactly since power sharing collapsed. And all of this after a five-hour meeting of the Democratic Unionist Party on Monday, which ended at 1am, a meeting in which an audio stream was leaked to a loyalist blogger. Nevertheless, they were back. Geoffrey Donaldson of the DUP joined Audrey on Morning Ireland. People we have spoken to on the programme, including Doug Beattie, leader of the Ulster Unionists, wondering why it was worth two years of a boycott of Stormont, two years of no government, two years of a diminishment of services, public services for the people of Northern Ireland. What do you say? Well, I say this, that um, uh, there were many uh, in other parties who said um, it was not possible to secure change, that there wouldn't be a renegotiation of the protocol. They were wrong. We have proven them wrong. Uh, Our actions have brought the EU and the UK government back to the negotiating table and we've negotiated real change, change that will benefit everyone in Northern Ireland, change that will restore Northern Ireland's place within the United Kingdom and its internal market. And I think the DUP can take credit for delivering that change, whilst others have spoken about the problems, highlighted the problems. They haven't actually delivered any change. But was it worth all the damage done? 
Well, I believe the damage that was being done with it by the protocol needed to be addressed. And now we must focus, uh, provided we can get to the moment and the government deliver on their side where we restore our institutions. We will work with the other parties to address uh, the challenges with our public services uh, to secure the funding that we need for those public services. So we're committed to doing that. On Wednesday, just before the news at one, the agreement was published. Its title, Safeguarding the Union. Taking a first look at political commentator with Talk TV, Peter Cardwell joined Brian. When we lined you up a little bit earlier, we weren't expecting to have the document in our hands. We do have it in our hands, but only just in the last few minutes. From your first uh, look at what it contains, what do you make of this deal? Well, I'm on page 34. I'll not say I've read every single word of this so far, Brian, but certainly what is the most interesting thing and the most essential thing, I think, for Geoffrey Donaldson as he tries to sell this, not just to his own party, but also to the wider unionist community, is about checks. Now, there will be some checks. There won't be zero checks as uh, Geoffrey Donaldson has said, but they will be minimised to a huge degree. You read out the, the line there about eliminating physical checks when mo- goods move within the UK internal market system. But with agri-foods, there will continue to be some checks, so I think that's going to be a very big issue in the next few days. The government, it says, uh, on, uh, about halfway through this document, the UK government will take direct powers at Westminster to direct Northern Ireland bodies to protect the UK internal market. Now, there is quite a lot of detail here, but nonetheless, I think there is a phrase you'll be familiar with, Brian, from when you covered the Belfast Agreement when it said, uh, when people talked about creative ambiguity. I think we can already see little bits of creative ambiguity coming out of this because it does look as if there will be some checks, just not very many checks. And later today, Michelle O'Neill will become the first ever Republican First Minister of Northern Ireland. A highly symbolic moment. On Tuesday's Drive Time, Cormac put this to Conor Murphy, Sinn Féin, MLA. How significant is that in your opinion? Well, I think it is very significant. I mean, the election to to provide that outcome took place almost two years ago. Uh, and so we've been very frustrated that we haven't had that outcome respected until this point. Uh, of course, I mean, I don't need to give you a history of the Northern States and partition and how it was set up to ensure a perpetual unionist majority. But that majority has gone uh, a number of elections ago. It's been confirmed in repeated election results since. And I suppose there is a symbolism attached to the fact that the First Minister will come from a nationalist and Republican uh, background. But we're very keen, uh, you know, that aside, to get on and work with the other parties. This is a power-sharing mm-hmm. arrangement. It only works when everybody pulls together. A huge amount of challenges facing us as we have a public uh, finances have been devastated by 13 years of austerity from London uh, and we have a health service and other public services which are on their knees and public sector workers who have never got a uh, fair mm-hmm. pay increase in, in recent times so we don't underestimate the challenge as well. Yeah, a, hu- we a huge challenge, a huge challenge without question. But also on drive time, the DUP's Gregory Campbell was not necessarily relishing the prospect of a Sinn Féin first minister. In your own country, Sinn Féin have been boasting about the fact that they are the largest party, the two female Sinn Féin leaders, and they're looking forward, you know, to, to seeing the top post in both countries being Sinn Féin. Um, you know, and I suppose the, the Sinn Féin claim over many years is that our day will come, and they, they will find that not only will it come, 
but it will go as well. There's nothing as certain as that. And, mm. you know, that's politics. Sure. So we, and, we all and need politi- to build politicians come and go and, and we'll, Sure, and, we, and, and we, see that, we see that across, you know, all countries. Yeah. Um, and over the next few days, some people will be, you know, uh, there will be plenty of publicity about the arrival of Sinn Féin in the First Minister's office. There will be much less so when okay. that departure is, uh, is accomplished. Can I- But today the Assembly does return and with it a somewhat unclear opposition. On Morning Ireland yesterday, political commentator Alex Kane joined Onya. In terms of the overall opposition thing, which I think is a very important thing because Northern Ireland, the Assembly only has had it the option since 2016 and it's never been fully tested. And a few few months ago, the, the assumption would be that it was going to be the SDLP. We now look at a situation where possibly Alliance will go in, the Ulster Unions will go in. In fact, we could have a, a huge, big, divided opposition who will be fighting each other. And it's just one of the, the, the wonders of Northern Ireland politics, even something that's relatively simple. And it was interesting, the SDLP line yesterday, which is a wonderful line that we have been given a mandate to go into opposition, which means they didn't get enough votes to go into the to the executive. But again, with the, the, the opposition, there's no agreement there on how they would work. And there's no agreement on what they oppose and don't oppose. It's not going to be particularly well funded. So we're still going to have this dysfunction between... You know, the official opposition job is to actually deconstruct. That's its job. It's to deconstruct and make changes and propose amendments. That wasn't what it was doing for the first six months before. And I'm not sure if you have three, oh, right. two or three parties. I mean, the SDLP is too small to do it by itself. That's the key thing at this point. I think we can safely predict plenty of drama ahead. Thank you both. But with all of this jostling for power, what of the people of Northern Ireland who have been without a functioning government for two years? With Colm Inverclare, BBC News correspondent Mark Simpson. And the people of Northern Ireland have high expectations, Mark, at this stage. Do they? Or have their expectations been somewhat dampened about their politicians after the long hiatus? It's funny you should say that. I did Vox Pops in the town of Larne the other day, breaking the news to some people that Sir Geoffrey Donaldson had done a deal overnight and Stormont was coming back. And nine times out of ten people said to me, are you sure... I believe it when I see it. People are bruised. They are scarred by the fact that Stormont has been so up and down over the past 25 or what is it now, 26 years since the Good Friday Agreement. I have to be honest, Colin. Nobody would be surprised if this assembly doesn't last very long. But I suppose for all of those who are in favour of power sharing, they live in hope. Mark Simpson with Colin yesterday. If you're getting the lie-in on Monday, who do you need to thank? Bridget. Or, as you'll hear her describe later, badass Bridget. But first, from Bowman on Sunday, Kate Fitzpatrick, facilitator of Celtic Wisdom. And she was heard on The God Slot with Eileen Dunn. Well, Bridget was originally a mother goddess in the pantheon of the Chuhede Danon. And we hear the stories about Bridget being the fiery arrow that delivers the inspiration of the fire in the head of many of the original poets and bardic people in Ireland. So that's Bridget the pagan goddess. What about Bridget the Christian saint? And Bridget the Christian saint, as you said, Eileen, was born in the middle of the 400s AD and she was born of a lowly birth. Her mother was a slave woman and her father was a Dutak, who was a druid. And there were many episodes of the the former wife of Dutak trying to get rid of 
Bridget's mother, Brishak, because the daughter was supposed to be a very special person. It was prophesied. And so when Bridget was born, she was actually born neither inside the house or outside the house. Her mother, Brushak, gave birth to her on the doorstep. And so we begin this whole piece of a very strange and wondrous birth that Bridget had. And so this woman, who actually seems to have been a historical figure of Bridget, became a much larger-than-life figure, imbued really with a lot of the values and symbolism of the original mother goddess. And so the stories of Bridget and the Saint Bridget are, are just as part of the mythology really now as the original myths. And that's the way we move forward, really. We, we keep integrating what the new stories are with the old. Now, the festival of Imbolc is related to the whole idea of ewes' milk. So she, she really governed over the first lambs to be born and the first coming of new animals into the spring. And really the farmers have celebrated Bridget ever since as a patron of animals and a patron of good prosperity from the land. And she holds a special place for those working on the land and at sea. Here's Brendan McGowan from Galway's City Museum, here with Ella Shanahan. It was a particularly important day in the farming and fishing calendar. St Bridget promised that from this day onwards, every second day would be good for them. And you'd put away the candlestick and half the candle, which means that from then on, the days would be getting brighter and brighter. Uh, and it would be also important that they would take note of the weather uh, because it would be seen, whatever it was like on Bridget's Day would be a sign of what it was going to be from that day forward. Apart from making the St Bridget's crosses, there were other activities, there were other symbolic activities on the Feast of St Bridget or on the eve of the feast. The St Bridget's cross is what we're left with, but there were a number of other traditions that would include, for example, the Chris Bridia, where they would make a huge, um, maybe a 10-foot belt or girdle uh, made from straw, it would be brought from household to household and the men in the house and the women of the house would step through this in two different fashions and that would afford them protection for the coming 12 months. Um, it was common to put the Brathbridge, a uh, piece of material, outside the house on a windowsill, maybe on the back doorstep. And it was believed that as uh, St. Bridget visited the countryside on the night before her feast day, that she would bless these pieces of material. And these were used maybe to protect a fisherman might carry it as he was out at sea to protect him from drowning. Um, and it was also a traditional cure for headaches in some parts of the country. Is there nothing she cannot do? And on Witness with the Siobhan Garrigan, this question to Marsh McPhee, who runs tours celebrating Bridget. What is it about Bridget that makes her a badass? <laughs> is it, and first I should ask, is it the goddess or the yeah. saint or both? Do you need to distinguish? Do yeah. we need to distinguish? Or is it a feeling? Tell us about Bridget. Yeah. Well, I think if we're talking about the spirit of courage and the spirit of, um, of boundary breaking, the spirit of new frontiers even the sense that Bridget is a figure that is an amalgamation is so true to form because each one of us is an amalgamation of, of different parts of our lives. And so much combines. We are not one thing. We are many things. And I think this helps us tap into our sense that we are, that we can explore all of those different bits of ourselves and celebrate those and see how that makes us unique and what unique contribution we bring to the world. So go get your Bridget on. Back in a bit. Welcome back. On Wednesday, Claire got annoyed. 
Michael, on the performance Michael, of a green stop talking. Ooh, what? Or rather, who had turned Claire the Unflappable into angry Claire? The answer, Ryanair's Michael O'Leary. He was on to talk about Ryanair buying housing estates to rent for employees, but it was when they moved on to the topic of our climate emergency, air travel and the capacity of Dublin Airport that things really took off. It was quite the listen. We do have a, a climate emergency. We have made national and international commitments, uh, you know, to reduce our emissions. And talking about expanding our airport passenger numbers by 25% is contrary to those commitments which we have made. It's absolutely not fair. I mean, if you just join up the writing, if we do that growth and that expansion on aircraft that carry 20% more passengers but burn 20% less fuel, we fully comply with those targets. All we need is to have a transport minister, though, that doesn't have a block on on traffic growth at the only airport we have, the only significant airport access we have on and off this island. Mm. Well, he he is saying, the the minister is saying, that we have to continue to promote the use of the other Irish airports, such as Cork and Shannon, where there is extra capacity. Is that not a solution, rather than bursting through the 32 million at Dublin Airport? That is the kind of stupidity that only a Green minister would give you. Let me tell you, 60% of the passengers on our flights are inbound passengers. If they wanted to go to Cork, we'd fly them to Cork. If they wanted to go to Knock, we'd fly them to Knock. In fact, we already do. The vast majority of those passengers, the vast majority of the hotel accommodation is in Dublin. They want to mm-hmm. come to Dublin. But this is and the problem with Dublin. Minister uh, would sit, but, but, the, but Eamon Ryan Dublin, says that there the is intense infrastructural pressure on Dublin Airport and anyone who's been through there in recent times knows that that's the case. Would we not be better Jim, having a more balanced offer, regional development? Where do you come up with this nonsense from? There isn't intense infrastructural pressure on Dublin Airport. We've just opened a second runway which increases the traffic capacity of Dublin Airport from about 30 million to about 50 million. We do need to expand the terminal facilities. That I accept. Mm -hmm. We've been pushing the DA that for a number of years. But the DAA at the moment, under Eamon Ryan's guidance as the genius minister for transport, want to blow 200 million building a stupid tunnel that goes nowhere instead of actually expanding the gates and the boarding gates, which is where the real congestion is at the airport. But this is not an environmental issue. It's just more incompetence from an incompetent minister for transport. Things were getting personal. And for Claire, a little too personal. All right. We cannot have the main airport on and off an island on the periphery of Europe where we put up the signs and say, sorry, we're closed. But because the traffic won't go to Cork or to Knock. It could go to London. It could go to Edinburgh. It could go to Manchester. You're asking the government to ignore the planning regulations. And let's not forget where that got us in the past in this country and just go ahead and raise the cap to 40 million. We should actually, if this government had, uh, was a, if we had a competent minister for transport, he'd be ordering both the Fingal County Council and on board Planora to immediately raise the cap on traffic at Dublin Airport from 32 to 40 million passengers. That's why we've already spent 250 million building a second runway. But we have an incompetent transport minister who doesn't want to touch Dublin Airport. He went missing when the security queues blew up three years ago. He went missing last year when the drones were closing Dublin Airport. And now that there's a cap on the airport, he's gone missing again. We cannot leave this. Well, he ha- to a now, bunch of in local fairness, and I'm not, even going to, I'm not even going to push back on the fact that you've called him incompetent several times in this interview because Eamon Ryan clearly is not incompetent. So I don't even need to say to that. Look, he, he has said planning decisions are 
made independent we, of government. We independent have an incompetent transport minister who, after three right. years in office, listen, we that's now, your listen, view, Michael. That's fine. We've it heard is. it and so many times, from you, right? Listen, we planning. now have a survey. We have a listen, survey. Can we which get says Dublin is the second worst? Can we move away from the personal insults and talk about the fact that planning decisions, Michael, stop talking? Planning decisions are made independently of government. That is how it should be. I can't think who in this country, given what we have seen in the past, would say that planning decisions should be interfered with by government. Ay ay ay! Ryanair is at Michael O'Leary with Claire. And another man not sitting on the fence, Donald Clark. He and fellow film reviewer Arlene Hunt had gone to see the spy action comedy Argyle. But as they told Sean, they had serious issues with the cat. It's a, it's, a, it's a CGI cat. It's a really CGI cat. It's a really cat. CGI, it's CGI most, cat. It is the most... I'm we, sorry, I have to say this because people might go to see this film for the... It's a CGI cat. It's yeah, a very we're, we're CGI cat. We're always going to write lists in my profession of like, you know, best, best, this and that. If you're writing about worst cat in the film, I don't mean... And the cat's unpleasant. Is it really? I mean, there's a real cat there somewhere. Somewhere, really yeah. Now at one then. point. But like for about eighty percent of the time, it is a CG cat, and, and it moves like a CG, and it's yeah. just CGI cat. Terrible. So are there? I mean, there's an extraordinary cast here. Um, yeah, he's the Michael Winner of his day, isn't he? Matthew Vaughan, the same. Michael Winner, the, um, Michael Michael Winner the director. Yeah. Same with Michael Winner could drag in like you know Joanna Lumley and Roger Moore and everybody else. The two who, who, who has who uh, managed with. to get in? Uh, oh, he's got in. He's got um, uh, Catherine O'Hara, Samuel Jackson, Brian Cranston, Richard E. Grant, Sophia Botella, the leads you've already mentioned. Yeah, it is like it is like one of, one of like one of Michael Winner's dinner parties. Look, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> I um, I do not like Matthew Vaughan's films. I did not care for the Kingsman films um, at all. I did not care for Kick Ass. Um, I find his kind of mannered, arched approach just irritating. But I'm coming to a botch here after all this. But here it comes. I really enjoyed um, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard in this. And I enjoyed the relationship between Bryce Dallas Howard at, um, uh, uh, and, her, and her partner in this, um, Sam Rockwell. And she's a really charming actress. She's always had a great warmth to her. And I think that sort of slightly fussy warmth that she has, which she plays as, as its author, who's you know, yeah. um, lives this quiet life tied away. Actually, it comes quite useful towards the end when right. she gets involved okay. with all the violence. And so in the end, I ended up really grudgingly, given how much I dislike how this, this man makes his films, sort of coming around to it. And, and now this just sounds like two things. First of all, you're not going to mind people enjoying this one and the many well. stars. <laughs> well, I'm not going for three. I'm going to give it two and a half. That's, that's as, far as, my, as far as my tolerance stretches. <laughs> what are you saying? I'd say Arnie? stop using CGI animals in films unless you're really good at it. That's what I would say. And I'm giving it a two. Meow, hard. You do not mess with arena reviewers and it seems a special place in hell for CGI cats. But with Oliver, woof, 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 the love of the collie. What, what's the trait you're looking for? What's the, what's the best trait you need in, in a collie? Well, according to me, you know, every handler has, has a different uh, opinion. I think temperament is quality number one. The dog must be must be friendly, must be happy, because when a dog is happy and is kind of friendly, uh, it's easy to train. Because if if they are doing something right, they know it, and yeah. if they are doing something wrong, they don't take the correction personally. Oh, they just right. say, okay, well, that, then I have to correct my 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 attitude. But a nervous dog or a or a timid dog, 
you have to be both a trainer and a, psych- a psychiatrist because they, they take everything personal. So <laughs> it, it, it's much harder to work with a dog that is not friendly and outgoing. Spoken like a man who knows, because he does. His name is Paul Walker. He's originally from Chile. He is now living in Condueo. Hooray. He breeds and trains sheepdogs. It's lovely that we still need sheepdogs. They're essential. They're essential. And the best dogs in the world are here in Ireland. Every, every, almost every mountain you see in Ireland is commonage. And farmers, shepherds have sheep there. And the only way to bring them down is with a dog. Yeah. They've tried bikes, drones, um, anything. You know, drones, the sheep are extremely yeah. sheep, sheep are extremely intelligent. They love sheep the mountain. Sheep are intelligent. They're very intelligent. Right. Even though these mountain sheep, they know every every creek and every path and every place where they can hide. So, for them, the mountain is their house, and you need a very good dog to bring them down correctly without any stress and kind of doing it. doing. All I love the go. tradition is there. The far right will have to find a new slur for, for, for the sheep. So, um, <laughs> sheep will no more. But if you're at home right now, looking down at your labradoodle, wondering maybe, just maybe, have you got yourselves a sheep herding moneymaker on your hands? Put the radio right up close to their furry little ear. Come by is a command that we usually use for the left, means left. Away means right. And we also, some trainers put whistles immediately on the dogs and some put them after, but they learn extremely fast because it's the most intelligent breed in the world and it's the most common dog in Ireland. Is that right? I never knew that. I have a selection of of sheepdog whistles here. So, that's alongside the come by and away. Or is it instead of? Do you do the whistle instead or is it... Well, um, every every dog has a different set of whistles. Um, mostly, the, the whistle to the left, the most common is the whistle to the right is oh, the right. stop. Is a, it, every dog has a different different set of whistles, but those are the most commonly used. Now, if you could do that with cats, that we'd watch. But there are times when a whistle would come in very handy. A referee whistle. Because with Cormac and Sarah Sinead Brady, a career psychologist, she was on to talk about microaggressions. She had her work cut out for her. So a a microaggression is a part of unconscious bias. For the most part, people don't know that they're doing it. And it may be clumsy. And that's why I've said, I want to be really careful here with my language. I don't want to be clumsy. And if I am, my intention is not to insult or to marginalise further. So I would be very comfortable and confident with the conversation that you two just had, for example. Um, Because that was aggression, aggression. (laughs) (laughs) Macroaggression. Well, no. So you two are beside each other. And I yeah. say I'm not beside. I'm not in the studio with you. So Cormac, actually, which often happens to women in the workplace, is somebody cuts across them, and then the conversation continues. And the point they were making mm. was not listened to or validated. And actually, that in itself is a microaggression. And there was a really good example of how you stand up for Thank somebody who's in a position. Yeah. And perhaps now I'm not she saying Sarah that you were microaggressed she, towards she, me, she, she, but she, I'm she, just using as an example. Let Sinead speak. Let Sinead speak. Sorry, sorry, Jeanette, go on. So um, the really interesting thing here is is actually it could be a microaggression to suggest, sorry, Mm -hmm. go ahead and speak. Mm -hmm. Um, So we just have, it's very new. It's a minefield. It is a minefield. It is a minefield. But the really interesting thing about it is... Back in a bit. 
Welcome back. Oh, what is life without backstabbing treachery? The two-faced colleague who sells you out to your boss, or perhaps politically, the person swearing allegiance to the party and then jumping ship. Oh, traitors all. But just how do they do it? The, the, the best way of becoming a real traitor, a real spy, is to be able actually to trick yourself, to persuade yourself that you really believe that you are the, 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 the honest uh, member of the group. So self-deception is one of the best ways of deceiving others. Mm-hmm. Professor Ian Robertson, Emeritus Professor of Psychology at Trinity with Claire and all of this prompted by the hit reality BBC show The Traitors. People are tasked with working together as a team by day but by night. The traitors spot them if you can, plot your downfall. And if you're thinking, oh, it's always the quiet ones. No, not always. Instead, look out for the smooth talkers, the slick movers. In a situation like that of of stress where people are doubting you, people are suspecting you, it's it's very it's very difficult if you are if you like an honest person and try and really genuinely trustworthy. It's very difficult for you not to show telltale signs of anxiety or maybe even self doubt and 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 you know say oh maybe I am guilty all all the kind of conflicting thoughts that comes in a conflicting situation like that means that. The last thing that you would expect of someone like that would be consistently cool, smooth, persuasive, you know, a, you know, apparently uh, totally confident, apparently without any any concerns that they might, uh, you know, be, be suspected. So that overconfidence, which is a huge, it's the, sales, it's the salesman's selling uh, fuel, if you like, is overconfidence. That kind of overconfidence for me would be a tell. And it is precisely our interdependence that makes such betrayal and treachery so very nasty. The thing about being the team or the tribe is it's it's tremendously consoling and actually creates hormones that we've all heard of, like oxytocin, uh, that, that bind us and make us feel good. And that sense of working together is just really a, a very primitive uh, mood elevator, you know, and this is the sort. And so the idea that someone uh, in the, is deceiving you within that team, maybe free riding, maybe maybe betraying the team, I mean, that is it's not just a kind of, oh dear, that's bad for the team. It's a personal attack. Because when you, a team that really works together, there's a certain merging of egos goes on. So you have, so it's a threat to the extent that you're, you know, invested in that team. It's a real threat to your ego, to your self-concept. And that, that makes it so painful. Ian Robertson with Claire. Now, do you have a telephone voice? We all have one. Never mind the broadcasting voice, mellifluous tunes. Do we think the rural accent is authentic, decent, but too much country so you wouldn't know what he's saying? Dublin, take me up to Monto, hearty, salt of the earth, old Mr Brennan, or God forbid, you're a young woman on the dart. Knives out for that one. Well, Teresa Costello is a Fianna Fáil councillor. She posted a video on TikTok about a constituency issue, but it was the snooty comments about her accent rather than the issue that became the focus. She spoke to Joe. They were saying very bad speaker, very bad public speaker, you know. So I kind of was like, does it really matter how I get my message across as long as it comes from the heart? 
and I get the job done. Apparently it does, because this wasn't the first time Teresa had faced judgment. In the in the professional environment, there was times when people actually did make remarks like taking off my accent and stuff. And it was, it, it kind of hurt, do you know, that way. But like, you know, I'm proud of my accent. I, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to change yeah. for anybody, like, you know. And this prompted Joe to tiptoe into the minefield that is the Dublin accent. Here's Mick. Let me hear your accent. What do you have for your breakfast? What did I have for breakfast this morning? I had two eggs and a bit of brown bread. Ah, oh, brown. Do you have any Brennan's bread, Mick? No, that's not even the same fella they don't have anymore. I think that man does. <laughs> what are you thinking about what Theresa is saying? I'm thinking that I love my Dublin accent. It's very strong and I'm proud of it. Okay. And did you ever get, yeah. did you ever get slagged over it? Ah, oh, stop, will you, Joe? I worked in the leisure industry, in the fitness industry, and I worked in a few different places, on the south side, north side, west side, wherever, yeah? Yeah, and what would be and said to you? Always, ah, the women from Castle Lock would be like, it's a beautiful man with the accents <laughs> doing the class today. <laughs> the, man, the man with the what? <laughs> but he did tell this story about straight-up discrimination. Well, my man went for jobs back in the 90s and, and as soon as she opened her mouth like that, again, the people doing the interview would say, look, you have all the credentials and all this, you, you, you're brilliant for the job, there's just mm. one thing wrong. And she'd ask, what is that? And they'd say, your accent is not right for the role. Why? Well, I don't know, Joe. Like, if her skin colour was different or if she was from yeah. the minority, that would be classed as racist. But because that she, she came from a working class background and fingers and she had the accent, it was OK to say them things. But then, another Dublin accent that can grate. One born in suburbs, which are always leafy. Here is Tom. It's horrendous. It's horrendous. I, I, I end up listening to, concentrating on the way they're saying things rather than what they're saying, if you know what I mean. I know we don't have telephonists now, but if, if I were hiring a telephonist in Ireland, mm-hmm. I would do a, vo- a voice and pronunciation test before I'd employ them. And I wouldn't take on anybody who has a hate on the road cork. A, a, a what, Tom? You wouldn't take a hate on, a... on the road cork. 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 Okay. That, 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 that's, that's standard now. C O E R K. That's the standard way of pronouncing words like, like that. Okay. Well, it, well I'm, I'm, tell, tell, I'm tell me, tell me that's better than, 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 than a Dublin accent. It's not. It's horrible. And well, Tom, what's your own accent? My is boring. Okay. Don't don't tell me. Don't tell me. Teresa, listening to yeah. Tom, listening to Tom, where's he from? Tom, just uh, t- um, tell me. T- I'm, let's I'm get a nosebleed let- if I leave Tala, Joe, so um, okay. let me think. Well, Tom, tell Maybe us. Rath- give, give us a, give us a, yeah, okay, Tom, Rathfarnham. Well, now, Joe, you mentioned um, the 44% or whatever, sorry. Mount Marion, Mount Marion, Mount Marion. Not far from there, but I wasn't born there. I was born in Rathmines. Okay. And it, 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 but but for my but for my mother, I would have had a Dublin accent because of my friends. But she wouldn't let me speak like that. <laughs> Why not? Because she was a bit of a snob. <laughs> and then Joe was off. A mix of match the post codes to the accents, all based on what you had for your brekkie. Kevin, what I had for my breakfast, I had wheaty bangs, I had fruit and fibre, and a cup of coffee. Okay, Tom, where is Kevin from? Um, I'm guessing Dublin, suburbia. Theresa, but, uh, t- Theresa, where is Kevin from? <laughs> Dublin, definitely. Now, what part of Dublin? Uh, 
Dublin four. Okay. Um, <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, where is Kevin from? <laughs> Black Rock, Seapoint in Black Rock originally. There you go, there you go. Dublin Perfect. four, Dublin Perfect. four. Okay, your observation. No, no, Joe. Oh, sorry, it's sorry. Not, okay, not Dublin Four. Okay, not Dublin Dundee, Four. Down. Dundee, okay. Yeah, I, 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 I often say, yeah, people accuse me of having a D Four accent, and I, I reply, I said, no, we've nothing as common as that. Okay, as in Blackrock, we didn't have anything as common as a postcode. We're way above. That. Take your positions on the panel there for a sec, and have have your buzzers, have your buzzers, um, close. I'm going to ask a question. Whichever one, one of you uh, guesses the answer for, just shout your name, okay? Mary. Don't say, Mary, what did you have for your breakfast? Is that you, Joe? Yes, Mary, of course. How are you? I'm delighted to Don't talk say to where you're Joe. from. Don't say it's where you're from. In my mom accent. Yeah, you see, she's have to give it away. Oh, Mary, you're killing it. But in the middle of all of this, Joe Duffy gave us a surprise admission. If he can get a word in above our Mary. When I came in here, obviously I didn't come in because of my voice. If I had gone on the radio and announced the death of Eamon de Valera, Eamon de Valera himself would not have believed it. But when I started doing uh, trips around the country for Gabriel Mary Bourne back yeah. in the uh, 90s, uh, yeah. I start getting letters in here. In green ink, in green. Now, hang on, Mary. I've never told anyone. Mary, you have an exclusive here. You've never told anyone this before. Well, I know you'd give me the exclusive, Joe, because I never missed you. I never missed your program. Okay, well, I'll tell you what happened. I start. I knew Gabriel Mary Bourne, and you know that. Yeah, I know. And I start getting letters in here in green ink. But the worrying thing, given out about how did someone like with your accent ever get on air? And the worrying Terrible. thing was, the worrying thing was, they were internal letters. Someone in RT was writing them. So wow. I just, I and and no, no. In fairness, now there is an argument here, and I come back to Tinker and Tinker, Tinker and Tinker. And I remember one day I was interviewing one of my favourite people of all time. He's, he's deceased now, the intellectual and the, the cardinal, Cahill Daly. And I described him uh, in one of the, my questions as a, a brilliant intellectual tinker. Mm-hmm. Right? And someone wrote in, the word is a thinker, Mr. Duffy. Oh, wow. Not, not tinker. But, and it, that is true. You need clarity. So I took up, I went of my own accord to a fella called Paul Mussolides. And I said, Paul, I, want to, well, I don't want to change my accent, but I want clarity. I need clarity. And he said the first thing in terms of clarity is when words are spelt differently, they must be pronounced differently. Tinker is T-I-N-K-E-R. Thinker is T-H. That's, that's, and, I, and I went to Paul for about, about a year and obviously it made, it made no difference even though he's a, he's a superstar in the whole world of, of uh, elocution. Mick. Well now, a full year of this the lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips, the tip of the tongue. Intense, no pressure. And way too early on a Saturday morning, let's face it. Let's go instead to the artist of the moment, Bambi Thug, and their song, Doomsday Blue. Fingers crossed we break the curse and get a Eurovision win. I really wasn't expecting the country to get behind me so much and I, it still makes me quite emotional, actually. Yeah. Oh, but as we pointed out, the Eurovision community, not exactly shy about making their feelings known. I've seen quite a lot, um, both good and bad, um, but there, there's an overwhelming amount of love, you know, that will always... Like, if you're not polarising, you're not doing the right thing as an artist, you know. You, you're going to upset people if your art is actually... Uh, 
worth worth its light that it's given. Um, I think and as a as a queer person as well, you know, we get hate. And all I can say is I send all those people love who um are so mm. um I guess enraged by my art and I hope that you're okay, guys. <laughs> That's a nice thing to say. Uh, so, so this is you now. Uh, you're in all the papers, news. Everyone's talking about you. Followers gone up, uh, but you're still an independent artist, and the reality that goes with that. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a label. I don't have a rich family. I um, I don't even have uh, my own room at the moment. I, all my stuff is in storage in London, and I'm sleeping with my sister in her her bedroom, annoying her. Um, so it's and it's crazy is all I can say. And I'm I'm really grateful that maybe things are changing for me, so that that won't be the case by the end of the year. Like I I'd love my own bed. <laughs> <laughs> And then, towards the end of the interview, this rather um, cryptic interjection from Ray. I'm so beyond grateful, Ireland, to all of you for allowing me to have a, a chance on that big platform. You have no idea how much Maintain I... Maintain control. Yeah. Maintain control. Sorry. <laughs> Keep control. <laughs> Sorry, I just reversed it Sorry, there. Sorry, Gollum so is would here understand. in the studio taking over the mic. Hmm. <laughs> And after all that, we're going to have to play the song. But first, a lesson in listening. And you may think you know how to listen, but active listening, a very different beast. On Study Hope with Evelyn, yes, it is back. Dr. Susan McCormick, Assistant Professor of Music at Trinity, with some tips for those doing exams and possibly for the rest of us. Always learning. How do you prepare for listening, though? I mean, it seems like an odd thing to try and study for. Yeah, because it is a listening exam. Open <laughs> our eyes our ears and listen. You know, we're trying to respond to what we hear. And so from now into the exam, if we can encourage and develop our aural skills on the daily, you're really going to see a huge improvement. Now, obviously, familiarity with your set works and so on will help. Sure. But listening in the car and the ra- to the radio, to your iPod, whatever it is. You happen to hear a bit of a theme tune from yeah. the TV bursting across the sitting room. That's a useful minute for you Absolutely. to pause and analyse. What you is that music switch on your me? active okay. listening skills and you say, what instrument is that? Okay. Let's tap along to the beat. I wonder, can I establish... A random the, the, ad, music might hear on TikTok, Absolutely, whatever. Absolutely, yeah. I wonder what the texture is in that. Let's see how many melodic lines do I hear? This is all really, really, really beneficial and it's going to help you to do as well as you can on the day. And if you're listening on podcast, that is it from this week's playback. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next week. But do check out that song.